Our reading today comes from Exodus chapter 20. In Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 18. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. An altar of earth you shall make for me, and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stones, for if you wield your tool on it, you profane it. And you shall not go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness be not exposed on it. Amen. You guys may be seated. As you find your seat, let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we pray now that you would take these words, your words, which are true, which you have spoken to shape your people, and we pray you would cause us to hear them. And we pray that you would stir us to believe them, and we pray that by the power of your Spirit, we would be changed by them. Now, Lord, even as I speak about these words, I need your help, Lord. Would you, by your Spirit, cause your word to be heard and received, and believed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please take them and turn to the book of Exodus chapter 20, where Spencer just read for us. Um, we need to um, kind of take a step back before we can dive in here. So we at Redeemer have been working our way through the book of Exodus uh, for several months. And then um, for the last four weeks, we had our missions emphasis here at Redeemer. Our missions team did a wonderful, wonderful job at guiding us to think about God's purposes um, for those who are far from him. And so now we're, we're shifting back to the book of Exodus. So um, the book of Exodus, our, our title has been Our God Saves. And what is happening in this book is God's people have been in bondage and slavery in Egypt. And then God, by his miraculous power, raised up a leader, Moses, and then delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. And now they're on a journey, a journey from Egypt to their home, to the promised land. And on this journey... They're learning what it looks like to be God's people. Friends, that's our connection to this story. On the journey between bondage and home, learning what it looks like to be God's people. If we're in Christ, that's, that's where we are. And so we now, this morning, are coming to a very pivotal and particular part of this story where God meets with the people 
reveals himself to the people, speaks directly to the people, and says, this is what I want your life as my people to look like. So really, the the main theme from this story, the main theme from our passage this morning, is that God's grace, excuse me, God's gracious gift to his people is showing his people how to follow him. God's gracious gift to his people is showing his people how to follow him. Usually when words like law and commandments come up, we revolt against that. If I could, if I could plead with you for one, just like turn of the dial, like let's hear this guidance as a gift for the people. That's what the Lord's giving to his people in this major section of the scripture. Now, if you have no interest in listening to me this morning, I just gave it to you right there on a plate. You can sound educated at lunch here in a few minutes. Um, but let's, let's dive into this passage and let's try to understand what the Lord is saying to his people. So if you want to take notes, the first point is words and statutes. And I realized this morning when Andy Dukes and I were putting the sermon points into ProPresenter back there, and it auto-corrected statutes to statues, that I had chosen the wrong word. Because this passage is clearly against statues. No statues made in the likeness of God. None. So statute, the word for rule or for guidance. There is a transition going on in, what, in where we are in the passage, and that transition is between words and statutes. And so let me try to, as I said, take a step back and show where we are and exactly what this transition is. And it's going to help us not just today, but it's going to help us for the next several weeks. So this next few minutes is going to be a little bit heady. Bear with me. I'm doing my best, Okay. So where we are, Exodus chapter 19, chapter 20, chapter 21, 22, 23, is a section where God meets with his people and or meets with Moses and gives them what it's going to look like for them to be his people. The the phrase that is used of this section in chapter 24 is the book of the covenant. So this section is called the book of the covenant. And again, as I said, we're taking that language from Exodus chapter 24, verse 7. And what's going on in this book of the covenant is the Lord is shaping his people to be unique in how they belong to him, serve him, and walk in his blessings. So what's going on in the book of the covenant is the Lord's saying, You are unique in that you belong to me, you serve me only, and you walk in my blessing. Again, I don't want you to think I'm just reading theology books and laying that into the sermon. That is exactly what God said to Moses in chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. If you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession, my people, among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, my servants, those who represent me, and a holy nation, those set apart to walk in my blessing. 
These are the words that you, Moses, shall speak to the people. So this book of the covenant is about showing the people what it means to walk and live as God's people in the world. That is what this big section that we are in is called. It's it's the covenant. It's God saying this is what it's going to look like. Now, I want to introduce one more kind of Subdivision. This is where it gets to be a little heady, and let's do it anyway. But this covenant, chapter 20, 21, 22, 23, could be divided into two major sections, the words and the statutes. The words and the statutes. And again, this is not some external division laid upon the text, but it's actually given to us in the text. So turn over to chapter 24, verse 3. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Now, in our English, I think we kind of just gloss over that like, oh, yeah, yeah, all the words and and all the rules. But most scholars rightly point out that there's a, a distinction there. Because what we call the Ten Commandments, the beginning of Exodus chapter 20, in the Hebrew is actually called the Ten Words. So not the Ten Commandments, but the Ten Words. And so there's this distinction between the words and the statutes, the rules or the ordinances. So if you just want to walk through that really quickly, in chapter 20, beginning in verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me, and then you shall not make for yourself any carved image. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not cover your neighbor's stuff. Okay, that was the Jamie version there on stuff. Okay, those are the 10 words. And then we get this shift beginning at the end of chapter 20 where Spencer read for us earlier where the words go into specific situations in the life of Israel. And and if you just want to follow the, the, the headings in your text, you have laws about altars, laws about slaves, laws about restitution, laws about justice, laws about Sabbaths, and festivals. And what we could, what all of that would be the statutes, the ordinances, the rules, the laws. Okay, so you're like, all right, Jamie, why the distinction? Why does it matter? Why does the distinction matter? Well, there is, there are some key differences between the words where we were before Missions Month and the statutes where we're going. The words were given by direct interaction in the presence of God where the people heard the voice of God. God spoke the words to his people. And then our passage begins by them going, hold on, we can't handle that. This is too much for us. And these 10 words which God spoke directly to his people are written with simplicity and without condition. There is an always nature to these 10 words, which we call the 10 commandments. Then when we shift to 
the statutes or the judgments or the laws or the ordinances, they don't read with a simple always and everywhere nature. They read with a very present contextual reality to them. So don't mishear me. These statutes are God's word. They're true. And God expected Israel to follow them. But as the context of Israel changed, particularly and fully in the coming of Jesus, what these statutes lived out would look like would evolve because the place and the context of them would evolve. So we can think of the statutes as God applying the truths of the Ten Commandments to the context and situation of Israel as they are moving through the wilderness. So when we were doing the commandments, when we were doing the ten words, and the first word was, have no other gods before me, that's written in such a way that it is always and everywhere for everyone. Have no other gods before me. But then when we come over here, I don't know, you guys are statute side today, okay? When we come over to the statutes, and it talks about how to treat your slaves, and you go, oh, I don't, I don't have any servants. Well, that's not a always and everywhere for all of God's people kind of reality. Or if it says, what do you do, or when it says, what do you do when your ox gores a man? We're coming there. Y'all keep coming back, okay? When your ox gores a man, well, it's okay to not have an ox. So there is a, a God's truth being played out in a nomadic people moving through a desert on the way to a place kind of reality. And as God's story unfolds, these contexts unfold, okay? So that's a lot, but are you guys with me? So when you study the Ten Commandments, you're saying, what does it say? It's always true. Let's do it. When you're studying the statutes, you're saying, what does it say? How is it true to Israel? And how does our life in Christ cause us to think about what the truth looks like in the here and now? So what I'm saying is it's easier to study the Ten Words than it is to study the statutes. Also, I just got to put this out there. Um, there is the sense, as Stephen Wellam says in his, old, in his book about the covenants, there is a sense in which many Christians disagree in how we study the statutes. Wellam goes so far as to say that all of our current denominational lines break down in how we interpret the statutes. You can root those differences all the way back into how we interpret the statutes. So all that to say, good, well-meaning Christians might have some disagreement in some of these realities that we're going to walk through in the coming weeks. But let's walk through them believing that God is speaking, God is good, his guidance is good, and that guidance still has a shaping reality for us today in Christ, in the suburbs, outside of Nashville. So the big takeaway from this point is we're now going into something different than the Ten Commandments, but something that is still good, still true, still right, and still helpful. We just got to work a little harder to get there. And we get to do that together 
in the coming weeks, all right? All right, that was a lot. Everybody with me? We good? Okay. I realize asking that when Facebook's going is a little weird question, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, Okay. So that leads to our second point, where we're going to dive deeply into um, the passage that Spencer read for us earlier. So everybody turn back to chapter 20, verse 18. The second point is relating to God. We are intended to be the people who have seen the holy God and have been changed. We're intended to be the people who have seen the holy God and have been and changed, been changed. So there's two pieces to this story. There's verses 18 through 21, and then there's verses 22 um, through 26. So in verses 18 through 21, we have this fearful encounter between God and his people. So verse 18 is actually the end of the 10 words. It's the end of the Ten Commandments. God is speaking directly to his people. And verse 18 begins this way. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain spoke smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. There is a direct encounter with God for the people. And the people realize that such an encounter with the holy God is too much for them. So they ask for Moses to be their mediator. You talk to God. We'll listen to you. Tell us what God has said. Now, here's something that struck me this week. Except for Moses, this is all of their first encounter with God. Abraham had an encounter with God. Isaac had an encounter with God. Jacob had an encounter with God. Moses had an encounter with God right here on this mountain. The people saw God work in the Passover. They saw God work in the parting of the sea. But here, this God who has saved them is now meeting with them and revealing himself to them. They are understanding the character and the nature of God presently and tangibly for the first time. And so they question, we can't handle this. Are we going to die? And Moses addresses the question in verse 20. Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. Now, if you have taken the the most basic of logic classes, or geometry, there's a problem in this statement. Don't fear, because God wants you to fear him. So what's going on? Do not fear, meaning do not fear that the Lord is going to kill you, 
Do not fear that the Lord is going to destroy you. Do not fear that the Lord is going to turn against you. He's for you. You're his people. The whole encounter began the first words that the Lord spoke in verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God is for his people. So don't fear that the Lord is going to destroy his people. But fear God. What does that mean? It means recognize who God is and give him the deference and the worship and the awe and the obedience that is due his name. So the Lord has appeared to show you his holiness so that you will have an appropriate fear for him. Because appropriate fear for him transforms how we live, that you may not sin. The fear of the Lord leads to turning away from sin, turning away from rebellion, and turning away from other gods to run to the one true God who is holy and glorious and unlike any other and has delivered his people by his powerful hand. So don't fear that God's against you, but fear the Lord appropriately that you will run to him. This encounter is intended to shape the people, not just in that moment, but as they go forward. Fear the Lord appropriately so that you don't have to fear other things. Now, I'm going to get real personal and present here for a second. Within the last year, and by the way, one year ago today was our last week of normalcy. Lord, work, please. Move us back. But in the last year, an unhelpful little tagline has developed of faith over fear. I think what this passage says is we all fear. It's just a matter of whom you fear. And if we fear the Lord and fear him appropriately, and fear him in worship and in deference and in awe, then we don't have to be captivated and debilitated by the fear of other things. So set your fear in the right place. Fear the Lord. Worship him. Follow him. We could say that fear of the Lord and faith in the Lord are synonyms. They're two sides of the same coin. The Lord says, I want you to fear me that you'll be transformed and follow me. That's why the Lord gave them that encounter, not to scare them, not to make them not want to be in his presence, but for them to know him as he is. May we know him as he is. Is. Our encounter is not on Sinai, and it's not 
in a cloud and thunder and lightning and trumpets and smoke, our encounter with the Lord is in the face of Jesus Christ. When we look at the face of the glorious Christ, we encounter the Lord that we might fear him. Let us fix our eyes on him. The passage then moves on, and if you're just reading it quickly, it feels abrupt. The people stood off while Moses drew near in the thick darkness of the cloud, and then the Lord starts talking about altars. Fear me. Let's talk about altars. What's going on there? So this section, verses 22 through 26, about altars is the first section of the statutes. And what the Lord is doing here is they've just had this encounter with him and they've just agreed that they're not going to have another encounter like that. And, And the Lord seems to know that the people will attempt to replicate meeting with the Lord. The Lord seems to know that the people will attempt to replicate this type of meeting. And so he takes the first two commandments... You shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. He takes those and he says, given these two commandments, this is what it's going to look like for you to relate to me as a people in the wilderness. This is what it's going to look like for you to relate to me as a people on the move from slavery to home. Verse 22, the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves that I have talked to you from heaven. So everybody's acknowledging the meeting. Verse 23, You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourself gods of gold. So in verse 23, what the Lord says is, While you're On the move, I want to show you how to tangibly live out the first and the second commandment. Don't make anything out of gold or anything out of silver and call it me. Don't make anything out of gold or anything out of silver and try to pretend that you're worshiping me by worshiping it because it doesn't work that way. You might say, well, what's with silver or gold? Well, those would be the two most precious realities in the life of Israel materialistically. The best that you have is not enough to make a representation of God. We worship the Lord as he's revealed himself. We don't make idols before him. So people of Israel, people in the wilderness, don't make representatives for God. Second, People of Israel, as you relate to me, understand that I don't have a place, that I will be with you everywhere that I lead you. Look at verse 24. An altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. You hear what God's saying there? He's saying, 
I don't dwell in Sinai. I'm here now. But as I move you, I'm going with you. And I will meet with you there. And I will be with you there. And I will bless you there. The Lord is making provision for his people on the journey. And he's saying, I will be with you where I lead you. You can meet with me wherever you are in every place. Third, he says, we'll meet and you will build a simple altar for making offerings to me. That's also in verse 24. An altar of earth you shall make for me. He's saying dirt's good enough. Just make an altar out of dirt. Make your offerings there. I'll meet with you there. He goes on, he says, verse 25, look, if there's some stone and you want to use some stone to make the altar, use some stone. But don't use tools to shape the stone. Just take it as you find it. Don't wield tools and craftsmanship in the making of the altar. I don't believe this is a statement at all against artistry. It's a statement against idolatry. He's saying, don't shape the stones because you'll start to worship the great work that you did on the stones. Just take them as you find them. Build the altar and worship me. Now, in the 8 o'clock service, every person on that road right there was an artist. And they were just like staring a hole in me. The Lord's not against your artistry. Artistry is a gift for the church and a gift for the people of God when used appropriately. And artists, you get like three chapters coming up here a little bit. Like the artist is going to be front and center in the building of the tabernacle and in the building later of the temple. And then you get this strange thing in verse 26. Don't make steps to the altar. Remember I said some of these things are contextual? Well, this one's very contextual because apparently the men didn't wear underwear. And the passage says, if you go up the steps, you'll show off your nakedness. I don't think the Lord is always and forever against steps. He's just saying, in worship, don't distract from God. Now, I don't think this is what this means at all, but I'm just going to throw this out there because for 10 years I've been looking for a chance to say this, and this is as close as the Bible comes, okay? I think if you're ever leading on a stage in a church, you should think about that. You're a few feet higher than you were when you looked in the mirror this morning. Our church is a short stage, two steps, okay. Our sending church, it's like six steps up there. You got to be careful. What's the point? I'm not turning this into like a true love waits modesty talk, I promise. Um, the point is that God desires to relate to his people. And he desires his people to relate to him. And he is graciously giving his people provision to say, this is how we're going to relate while we're homeless. 
This is how we're going to relate while we're on this journey together. It'll evolve because eventually they'll get to the promised land. I'm sorry, but before they get to the promised land, he's going to tell them about the tabernacle. And then they're going to relate to God there. And then they're going to get to the promised land and he's going to give them the temple. And then they're going to relate to God there. And then he's going to send his son into the world, John 1, 14. And the word dwelt among us. The word is actually the word tabernacled among us. Our meeting place with God is, is now in Christ. So the meeting place is going to evolve, but what the Lord's saying here is, I want to relate to my people, and I want my people to relate to me, and I will make provision for such. The sacrifices, it's provision for a sinful people to meet with and relate to God. The Lord is eager for his people to relate to him. God wants his people to relate to him, and he is eager to relate to his people. Friends, this passage about Altars is an invitation, not an albatross. God is inviting his people into his presence. If I could change anything about my own heart and about the way we as Christians think about discipline, Bible reading, prayer, small groups, church, missions, we think about them for some reason as Hardship, hardship that we have to generate desire for. What if we realize their invitation that the Lord desires to relate to his people? The context of our approach to God is through Christ. We approach God through Jesus Jesus is our meeting place with God. Jesus is the final and definitive sacrifice for us all. If Christ through his blood has borne our sins and covered our shame, then there is no longer condemnation or fear before the Lord. In Christ, we are welcomed into his presence and we are welcomed into his worship and we are welcomed as his people. So I am pleading with us to, to boil it all down to this question. Have we met Christ and been made to rightly relate to the Lord. Perhaps you're here today, you're going, I'm not sure about all that. We would love to meet with you after this service. Meet anyone you've seen on this stage, turn around and talk to somebody and, and just ask this question. I'd like to know more about Christ. We'd love to help you know more about Christ. Perhaps you know exactly who Christ is and you know that you need to take a step of faith toward him. We would love to help you take that step today. And perhaps you're standing here going, I'm in Christ. I belong to Jesus. Then may we be the ones who freely run to him, run into his presence, run into his acceptance, run into his love, run into his righteousness, run into his holiness, 
love him, worship him, and be transformed by him. Because those who have met the Lord are changed by the Lord. May this be so for us. Father, we pray now that you would take this word which you have spoken. And as much as, if it's, as, much as it is true and right and good, we pray that you would drive it deeply into our minds and our hearts, that we would believe and have hope in you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.